You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. What a beautiful day it is. Did everyone see the 20% chance of rain this weekend? That was 20%. It rained all weekend, in case you were wondering. My wife kept asking me. She was refinishing furniture out in the backyard, and she said, should I put it under the porch? I said, no. It says just clouds. Zero percent precipitation. I checked the hour by hour. And then we're sitting inside, and she's like, it sounds like rain. I said, it's not possible. It's not even physically possible. The meteorologist said zero percent chance it rained all weekend. Every time she would say, is it going to rain? I'd say, no, we're done. And then it would rain again. And so I love rain, and yet I don't like being wrong and my wife right. So it was such a conflicting weekend for me. You can see the, you can see the amount of pain I was in. Um, yeah, so it was a great weekend, though. Beautiful weather. Thank you, Lord, for the rain. And open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you. This right here is a baptismal tub or a horse trough. Either way, we use it as a baptismal tub. If you have never been baptized, but you are a believer, after third service today, at the end of third service, we have baptisms, so please feel free, come back. We have some people getting baptized. If you think, oh, I just can't do it today, well, guess what? In two weeks, we have another one, so no excuses. Um, One of the dangers of saying, you know, baptism isn't required for salvation, because it's not. God alone on the cross justified and saved you. But Christ did say... Go and baptize, right? Be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. So there is that little nugget of wisdom there where you're going, uh, just like James, right? Now that you're forgiven, should you sin all the more? And James says, what? No, please, don't. Why would you do that? So if you have not been baptized, baptized, and you're a believer, then please, today after third service, come Let us know when you get back in here you'd like to be baptized, or in two weeks we'll be doing another baptism. All right. How's everyone doing? Good? We doing well? Ready for the second series on covenant and what is covenant at LifePoint and what are we talking about here and what are we talking about with this relationship between congregants, you, and the church? That's where we're going this morning. And I want to ask you a question. What could God do this morning to surprise you? Right? What could he do? He's already most likely fed you, clothed you. You had a place with a roof over your head to keep you out of the rain. You had gas in your car. You had a car that worked or legs that worked if you walked here. These are all things that millions, if not billions of people in the world did not have. Has he surprised you yet today? Right? What could God do this morning here in this service or this day to surprise you? You see, what happens is expectation replaces gratitude. When I expect God to do something, when I expect the wealth of my country and then the faith of my God, I stop being thankful for it. I stopped thanking him. I stopped being reminded that all of these things I've done just up until this moment have been granted me because of him. I stopped being grateful for the fact that I worshipped him this morning freely because he upheld worship in me. 
And this thought came over me as we've gone through this series and, and as God has been taking me through this, what could I do to surprise you? What can I do to retain your gratitude, your humility? Have I become boring to you? And it's a real question, right? Especially for us Americans where we have every need met. So then we go to God and we say, well, you could do a really neat miracle. Like turn this to wine. That'd be cool if you did that one again. I mean, if he did that, that would shock all of us, right? Or if I just stood on top of it and started walking across it, a la Peter, that would shock you. It would surprise you. You may fall down in worship to the Lord. You may scream and shout. Here's the thing. When we come to expect things from God as a duty from him to give to us rather than a gift, we are no longer thankful for it. When we lose gratitude, we lose intimacy. Just like with your spouse, right? My spouse, nah, they can't do anything to surprise me anymore. I already surprised her. I put a ring on her finger. Shocked her. She was like, oh, really? Do I need to keep surprising her? What happens when most marriages start to struggle is when they stop showing gratitude to one another. When they stop being thankful for the other person and we start focusing more on the problems the other person is causing. Am I right? Same thing happens with God and same thing happens in the church. That's what I want to show you here this morning. This is why we're talking about covenant relationship. This is why we're talking about uh, more connection between LifePoint Church and the leadership and the elders and then people who attend because the truth is you come to expect a certain amount of service and a certain amount of uh, just Sunday morning, um, same old, same old. That's why I'm down here, just to surprise you a little bit. What's he doing down there, right? If you're at home, I don't know how much different this is for you, but it's totally tripping everybody here out. They can't believe it. Because see, when I'm down here and if I have a microphone on me, I can start walking down the aisles and asking you questions, can't I? I always look for people not making eye contact, so you are all doing really, really well. Direct eye contact. Where's that one? What could God do to surprise you? It's a good question because we know that if you can remember when you first came to the Lord, the joy, the excitement. Why did you have that? Because you never experienced anything like the love of God before. You never experienced peace like that or been set free from sin, addiction like that. And so you just were overfilled with joy. Right? All right. So let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to start in verse 12. And it's about the body, the body of Christ and its many members, us, the people who make up the body of Christ. Can you believe it? God left the advancement of his kingdom to us jokers. It's like, wow. So let's look at this, what it means to be the body of Christ and how we tie this together. This morning's sermon is entitled, Know What You Know. Know what you know. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, they're still just one body. So it is with Christ. 
For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. It doesn't matter what color you are, what race you are, how much money you have, what your background is, what religion you were grown up, uh, brought up in, none of that matters. What matters is that in Jesus Christ we are all part of one body. You see, Christ should break down. In the church, there should be no division based on economic um, status. There should be no division based on color of skin or where you were born. There should be no class divisions. Christ meant to destroy all of that. There should be no division as one is better than another based on gender. Christ destroyed that. He came and said we are all one in him. Now, he did not say, male and female, it does not matter. There is no difference. In fact, he's very clear that there's a difference. He said, not one is greater than the other. In me, slave or free, Jew or Greek, we're all one. Because why? You've all been baptized in the same spirit of the baptism that Christ was baptized in, and we all drink of the same cup, right? When we partake of communion at the end of every service, we are saying we are one with Christ. We are one in the new covenant of his blood. That is what I'm declaring when we partake of communion. He's about to make a very, very strong next point here. And this one is for us, especially in 2021. Verse 14, indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. <laughs> Does anyone see where I'm about to go with this? To just foreshadowing? You, who watches movies in here? This is called foreshadowing. Just because you're a foot and you're like, I don't like being a foot, I'd rather be a hand, does not not make you a foot. You're still a foot. And I love this. Not only are you still a foot, you're still a part of the body. So just because you've taken yourself away from the church, just because you don't like the gift that God has given you, does not mean it's not there, does not mean he has not given it to you. Just because you say the sky is red, or just because you say that dirt is, I don't know, let's go with purple, does not make it so. And currently in our economy and our culture, there is this, this idea that your truth about who you are is relative to you. Well, not only is it relative to you, but now you have to recognize my relative truth to me when addressing me. So now your relative truth has to become in some way my relative truth because I have to address you in your relative truth. And you think the Bible's confusing, <laughs> right? Oh, I can't read that book, it's so confusing. Have you seen what's going on on TV recently? This is super clear, actually. You were born a foot, you're a foot. I don't care how much you want to be a hand. You're a foot. We're speaking of feet and hands here. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. What Paul is establishing here in the church of Corinth is a very clear-cut case for reason and for logic, and for the fact that there is a God who abides and has built this world and has built you in his image on a universal truth. This is what Paul's saying. Just because you say one thing is so 
does not make it so. You can say it all you want. The truth is the truth. There is a truth for all mankind. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Now this gets to the heart of the matter. And this gets to the heart of what he's about to say in the next few sentences here. As he chose. God is sovereign. God is good. He is eternal. He's been around slightly longer than you and me. And so because of that, because of the fact that he is greater than me, he is creator, he is eternal and sovereign and all wise, I think he knows more about you than you do. He knows more about this world and your interactions than you do. So if that's the case, then at some point I have to lay down my pride. Pride, pride, pride. The oldest of all the sins. What was the very first sin? Was it disobedience? No, it was pride. You see, Adam was told by the serpent that you will not die if you eat of this fruit. In fact, if you eat of it, you will know between good and evil just as God knows good and evil. And Adam thought to himself, that sounds pretty good. I've been worshiping my creator, but now I can know as much as my creator. Pride. The disobedience was just the result of pride that had already begun in his heart. Many marriages break up over finances or uh, lack of love or uh, different opinions as we grew apart. The truth is most of those instances started in the heart with pride. Right? Remember what I said earlier about gratitude and expectation? It started in the heart. I'm not getting, I'm not receiving, I'm not. The same phenomenon happens in the church body, the local church. I'm not getting, I don't like how this is. And we allow pride in ourselves to begin to drive a wedge between us and the relationships that matter most to us. I'm going to address this a little bit more here as we keep going. But as it is, verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. This is quite possibly the most important two sentences on church organization and governorship in the Bible. Because what it does is it speaks directly to the heart of man, the pride, right, that I talked about, that every one of us struggles with, pride. And it says, you put a, on pedestals those who have the gifts that you value. You put on pedestals those who have the gifts which are neat and amazing and awe-inspiring, Right? the prophet, the healer, the teacher, the leader, you put all of them on pedestals as being greater than. And what Paul's saying is, I'm telling you, 
The church would not be the church. The body of Christ would not be the body of Christ without all the members. And I can tell you after seven years of being here, LifePoint would not be here if it weren't for the hundreds of people over the years who help get here at five in the morning, turn on the coffee pots, pick up trash on the parking lot, trim the trees, help with the kids every single week. Can you believe it? We have people who watch your children over there, who open their homes to small groups, who help make sure that there are words up there, the TVs work. You're at home watching this because of people who have spent hours making sure all of this works. So if there ever becomes any pride in the pastors, myself included, we are quickly humbled by realizing show up on a Sunday morning without any of your volunteers. I don't think I know anymore how to turn the lights on in this room. I used to. When I got here, it was a switch. There is now a whole thing of switches back there. Some of them are on. Some of them are not. It is extremely confusing, let alone turning on the rest of this and then live streaming. That is just... And so we think to ourselves, well... We give honor to some, but less others are not so important. So when we look at the gifts in us, we say, well, I don't have the gift of teaching or the gift of evangelism or I don't have the gift of healing or prophecy. And so I want to go seek out those gifts. God says, I've already put a gift in your heart. You have the gift of exhortation. Whenever you go and you speak to somebody, you always see the best in them and you can speak a word right into their heart that others don't even know how to say, but it just comes natural for you. Does anybody here have that gift? Gift of exhortation? Nobody? That might be the problem. Yeah, one? All right, anyone else? There we go. Now we're starting to... It's okay, you're not being prideful in doing this. I'm wanting people to see. There we go. Yep. Yep. Why is that so important? Because you can walk up to somebody who is having just a terrible day or a week or a month and without even knowing them, you speak a word into their life and can turn it around. And if you think that's you and just what a wonderful person you are, think again. That is a gift of God he has placed in your heart. There are some of you who can come up to others and instantly feel their pain. You don't just see their pain and go, oh, I'm sorry for you. You feel it. You empathize and sympathize with them and can come alongside them. And for some people, having someone else in the midst of pain is what they need. And for some of you here, that is exactly the gift God has put in you. Others see people in pain and we get uh, awkward and weird. We don't know what to do. Do I put a hand on their shoulder? Do I pray for them? Or just give them money? I don't don't know. Here, you're struggling with $100 help? We don't know what to do, but God has gifted us. These are some of those gifts. Some of you are gifted to come and sweep up and pick up and make sure everything looks nice for the next time we have group. And you get joy out of it. It fills you with joy knowing you are doing that. You see, what Paul is addressing here is the pride of man, and he is saying, do not allow your pride to interfere with the gift that God has placed in your heart. And do not address the gifts that are more prominent and give them more authority than they should have. Address the fact that every member of the body, whether you're a toenail or you're the eyes or the ears, are part of the body and have a specific role to play, which is why when a Christian removes himself from the church, the church loses a functioning member of its body. It just does. 
I've said it before. Imagine if the Christians just in Copper Basin who love God and, and have born again started coming to this church and the churches around us, how much stronger the churches would be because we're missing members of our body. Even those of us who come, we're missing your talents and your gifts and you actually connected outside of showing up for service. We're missing you. The church needs you. Let's keep going. Where are we? Verse 24. Um, nope. Verse 25. That there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. So I said earlier that there are those with specific gifts of empathy and exhortation that naturally do those two things, have joy with others, bring joy to others, and who suffer with others. For the rest of us, you will feel the suffering and pain of the people you are most connected to in this life, right? And that's it. That's who you feel. So we can say, yes, when I hear about Christians being tortured or killed in all parts of the world because of their faith, like, it breaks my heart, but you don't actually feel their pain unless you have that gift. How you feel their pain is if you have what I talked about last week, which is that mutual belonging. Remember? The kid with the Xbox, buy me this. No. Do you have mutual belonging? So, like, take me, for instance, Belize. There are believers in Belize, there is persecution in Belize, but Pastor Kenny's down in Belize. I have relationship with Pastor Kenny over the last eight years. We've gotten to know each other. I've gone down there. So when I got word that his van was set on fire last year, right outside his house that could have blown up, hurt him and his family, that grieved me. It hurt me. I felt as if it was my own. It broke my heart. That van is one of very few possessions he actually has in that very poor neighborhood. And he uses it to drive the poorest of the poor to doctor's appointments and to church and the grocery stores. And someone has come along and destroyed it. I felt that pain against all the other pains against brothers and sisters in Christ because I have relationship with Kenny. We have committed our lives to one another in a way that says, not only will I pray for you, but I will be there for you. So when we found out about this and we let you know about it and one of our members put it out there on a, a social media site and God used it and found someone who had once been to Belize and had just come into a bunch of money and then they provided the money to be able to bring a new van and then I rejoiced with Pastor Kenny as if it was my own van. I was elated. I couldn't believe it. To, when we sent him the news that God has worked in an amazing way to show you he is faithful to you, I felt that same joy. You see, I felt it because we're in relationship. So if the church relationship in America is one of you show up and we provide services, that is no different than your relationship to Target or the movie theater. You show up and we'll provide services for you. God didn't call us to be a movie theater, a retail store. He called us to be a body of believers that are connected together, that rely on each other, that lift each other up when they're down, that help when we're off the path, that help lovingly guide each other. We'll talk about that in a second, right? One of the worst things the devil has done and allowed, uh, brought into the church and we have allowed is to 
to take the body of Christ, the intimacy and relationship of the local church, and to make it sterile. To make us not want to be in these relationships, to see them as bad, to see them as overreaching, to see them as legalistic, right? Because if you do that, you take away the power of it. You take away the connectivity. We don't see ourselves as one body here. Everyone may see yourself as a body in the universal term of the fact that we're all part of Christ, but do you see yourself and the people sitting in your row as members of one body, there for you, helping you? This is what Paul is talking about to the church in Corinth. Verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first of all, apostles. Secondly, prophets. Third, he's appointed teachers. Then, deeds of power. Then, gifts of healing. Forms of assistance. Forms of leadership. Various kinds of tongues. So Paul is going to establish here that not only has, is in the church these different gifts, but that God has ordained them. And then what he's going to establish next is that there is an order to which he just listed each of those. It is not random. He just did not randomly say apostles first. There is an order. First, apostle. Seek to be someone who shares the love of Christ. How has it changed your life? How can it change someone else's life? Seek to be an apostle. And then from there it goes on. So there are these, these major giftings and then sort of these minor giftings. First, seek to be an apostle. When it says seek to be a prophet, it does not mean a future teller. It does not mean a sorcerer. It does not mean someone who knows the numbers of next lottery or knows who's going to be the next president. That is not what he's saying. When he says to seek to be a prophet, the prophet he is speaking about there is seek one who knows the truth, who can discern truth from the lie. Because remember, the lie is 98% truth. Seek to be a prophet. Seek one who recognizes when it is a lie and it is false even though it is misleading others, God has shown you the truth. Be a prophet. Be apostles, be teachers, deeds of power. He's saying God will give power. And so here's what's going on in this church in Corinth. God is giving these gifts, and what has happened is the people who have the gift of healing, right? Right now, in the early church, God's spirit is strong. He's establishing the foundation of the church, and he is moving in a very powerful way because God, human beings have never seen anything like this, ever. And so those who have the more prominent gifts, this is what's going on in Corinth, are lording it over those who have the lesser prominent gifts. Well, you have the gift of service, so you should serve me. And there became this class system, right? Those who are the apostles and the teachers, they're up here at the top. And then we've got down here as we keep going these other gifts. And down here at the bottom, those are the service people and administration and empathy and, you know, all of that stuff. And Paul is rooting it out and saying, you are seeing dissension and ruin in your body because of how you are treating one another. Do not do this. <laughs> He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all people work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Every one of those has a question mark after it. Is that up there? 
He's asking a rhetorical question, isn't he? He's saying, no, not all do these things. And how do I know that? The next line, strive for the greater gifts. See, Paul is saying there is greater and lesser. He's saying strive for the greater, but watch what he says next. In case you were like, there, see, I knew it. It is those who are apostles. They're the greater. I will show you still a more excellent way than any of that. Does anyone know what the next paragraph in Paul's letter is? We call it chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. What does he talk about? Love. Well done. Love, the love chapter. He says at the end of 12, I will show you a more excellent way than all of these to be the body of Christ. And then his very next verse in the next paragraph is, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You are a waste of noise. If you discipline, if you try a gift of healing, if you prophesy over someone, if you speak in tongues, and yet you do not have love for those who are around you, you are nothing but a loud, annoying noise. He doesn't pull punches, does he? I mean, that is super clear and in your face. Guys, all of these gifts are wonderful, and you should seek them. But if you do not love the people in your church first, if you do not genuinely love them, then it doesn't matter what gift God has put on your heart. You'll be nothing but a noisy, clanging gong in their ears. You will not affect change. You will not build them up. You will not uh, build the kingdom of God. So first, strive to love one another. Over and over, God keeps reinforcing this, doesn't he? Over and over, love one another, love one another. Last week, I got into the first, maybe just the first one last week, I think, right? As I talked about um, the five strands for covenant and what it looks like in a church, and the first one was, does anyone remember? Discipline. No, of course you don't remember. It was terrible. Discipline. Right off the bat. No one wants to remember that. I don't blame you. Discipline. There's church discipline. There's an understanding that one of the main parts of the church is that we would understand what it means to hold each other accountable. And I referred to Matthew 18, which Christ himself talks about church discipline, right? And how it should be conducted and how it should be held. So the second one that we didn't get to is um, <laughs> worse um, worse than the first one, it's expulsion. Expulsion from the body of God. That can't be biblical, can it? That cannot be something that is actually what God wants. 1 Corinthians 5, 12, and 13. What business is it of mine to judge those who are outside the church? Are you not to judge those who are inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. So what's happened with this one is exactly what has happened in this chapter, in, in, in these verses in chapter 12, is men and women have gotten to positions of power, and then they have looked down over those who have submitted to their leadership, and they have taken their pride and allowed pride, arrogance, self-righteousness to determine how they treat people. And so many people have been hurt by the idea of expulsion from the church, by the idea that it would even be possible. 
because so many times it's been done inappropriately. It's been done, it was being done inappropriately in the very first church. Why? Because we don't pay attention to the first commands that God gave us. Love God and love one another. You know, I can love somebody and bring correction to them. And if I have gone before the Lord first and I have prayed and lovingly brought it to them, so there is nothing in my heart at all, I mean at all, but seeing their best. Can it still go wrong? Can it still be taken poorly? Yes. But in that word, God will work in that person's life and they will have a choice whether to receive it or reject it. And this is what Paul is saying. If they receive it, he says in another passage, great, then you have won a brother. But if they reject it, then it's already been rejected in their heart. By keeping them around the congregation, you infect the congregation with the fact that this brother or sister, although they appear to be a sheep, is a wolf. But they look just like a sheep. They say all the prayers and they volunteer and they're at every meeting and they're always singing worship. In fact, they even lead alongside the worship leader on Sundays. But they refuse to bow their knee to correction. They refuse when confronted with sin in their life to change anything when it's brought in love and kindness and by people who want what's best for them. And so this is such a difficult subject because this is the nitty-gritty of life. This is just the hard stuff of life. And so what the church in America specifically has done is rather than engage it and find a way to do it better, we just stop doing it. And often we hear these words, who are we to say? Well, we're no one to judge the world. Those who are not believers, you are no, we have no right. That is for God. Paul makes it clear. That's for him to judge. He judges. But within the church even, within the local church, in our congregation, God says you must help each other. Some of the greatest growth in my life has been men who I have given permission in my life to speak into it who have brought change when I was blind to something or I wasn't blind to it and I just didn't want change. And if I did not have men who had permission, who I regularly met with in my life, I have no idea where I would be. Do you hear me? The idea of not just friendship and relationship, but covenant relationship will change your life, will make you the the version of yourself you think you are. Or what is it they say, the version of yourself your dog thinks you are. Just this wonderful being. But it doesn't happen unless you submit to their discipline, their correction, their words of advice. It won't happen. So we've seen it abused, obviously. In fact, it was being abused in 3 John 1, 9 and 10. The Apostle John was writing about the abuse of this. He says, um, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, (laughs) imagine that poor guy, Diotrephes. For the rest of time, he is known as a selfish line cutter. He loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing. He is gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. So this is a man who has taken that call to expel a brother who is in sin and has used it for his own good and his own glory. 
most of you, if you've been in church for a while, know of a situation like that or have been part of a situation like that. And so the idea of a church where there is no accountability, no any type of membership or or connectivity is fine by me because I have seen it abused. But if that's the case, then nobody here would go to and do anything but eat healthy food because you've seen what junk food does to your body. You know that's not true. You also know the fact that there are good things that come from this. Otherwise, God wouldn't have told us to do it. And so the, what we have to ask ourselves is, is the leadership at the church I'm at now, are they submitted to each other? And are they submitted unto the Lord? Right? It's so important to know that the elders and the pastors of this church, that we are accountable to one another, that nobody makes a decision by themselves, and that we are committed to the vision that God has placed here. It's incredibly important to understand that. Third, in the church, we're, hurt, we're told that Christians need to submit to the leadership God has put over them. These just get worse and worse and worse as I read them, trust me. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in high regard. Love them because of their work. 1 Timothy 5, 17, the elders who will direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And lastly, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders, submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will, not, will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be no advantage to you. God has this system and this structure in the church, in the body, that he's developed and built. And there's an incredible weight in the role of being a pastor. There's an incredible weight uh, understanding and Hebrews 13, 17 has never left my mind from the first moment I left the business world and went and became a junior high pastor. I will give an account for every person who has sat under my teaching. How did I handle relationship with them? Not just what words did I speak, right? Not just did I teach the Bible well, but there is an account. Did I see sin in their life and I was too scared to call it out because of what they might say? And so I didn't. Could I have helped save a marriage by, being, by manning up and doing what the Bible asked me to, but the implications of having to go forward and say something would have been very, very awkward or difficult, so I didn't. Did I overstep my bounds in certain areas? Did I address somebody's error or see something in someone's life and not address it with love, but addressed it with a bit of arrogance in my heart? God says that a teacher... And the leaders and the elders will give an account for every decision that they make. So we don't take it lightly, not even a little bit. Every pastor I've brought on since I've been here, I make sure they understand this section and this verse. You will give an account for what you have done. Now we get to these last two. Shepherds are required to care for their flock. Acts 20, 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. We are shepherds. Our job here is to keep an account. 
This is why the last year, right, we're exactly right at a year when the churches shut down, became so difficult because we had no way of knowing who was just an attendee here and who was considered themselves like I, Life Point is my home. We obviously knew there were quite a few people who we just knew because we see them every week or because they helped, but there were a lot of people who got lost in the shuffle because we, didn't, we weren't doing a good job with number four being good shepherds, caring for the flock and the needs of the flock. And that's one of the things that we have seen and prayed and said, God, going forward, we will change this. We must be better with this. And lastly, we are made in the image of the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians, it's what we just read this morning, 12 through 31, it very clearly talks about and uses the imagery of a body, the many members coming together being held accountable to one another, working together as one body to, to fulfill the duties of the church. And so it's a heavy responsibility. It's a big thing. It's not just a club. It's not just a membership. It is something so much more. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. It's saying yes. And so next week, I'm going to roll out, and we've got... Um, we're going to have some handouts for everybody, so as we, next week I'm going to roll out and walk through the different parts of the covenant, and then the videos. We've got a whole video series we've been developing, and to tell you what does it mean to be in covenant. In covenant will mean, ultimately, that we want you to go through the videos, understand what, like the actual details. I've talked here about the foundation, but what are the details of being in covenant here? And then um, once we have that, we want to be able to, once you go through it all, we've got it on Right Now Media, I believe. We'll have it on Right Now Media, so if you don't have your free Right Now Media sign-up, do that before uh, the end of the month, and then you'll be able to go through a video, and then we have a questions after each video, you know, just to make sure you actually watch them. We've all done driver school, right? Yeah, no, I, I watched all the videos, sure. So they put the questions at the end. <laughs> what color shirt was Nathan wearing? Were his jokes as funny as they always are? Those kind of questions, and you must answer them correctly. Once everyone, once you go through it, we'll have classes through in April and May that will take people in larger groups who have been through it, and then we want to hand you a certification of our, that we have signed with your name on it that says we are committed to shepherding, guiding, and overseeing you well with the elder signatures, the pastor's signatures on it, and through that process, after uh, you've watched the videos, it will be a time for questions, answers. You can ask us more questions, but this is why over the last month I've asked you in every newsletter to pray to pray, to pray. We cannot move forward in, in deeper relationship without a foundation of prayer first. And it can't just be the pastors praying and a few congregants. You've got to be saying, Lord, is this what I want? Now, you will still be able to attend LifePoint. We won't be a members-only or covenant-only church, anything like that. Anyone can attend. And our goal is still to always bring those who are lost into this church, that those who don't know Christ, we want you to know who God is. Above all, I want you to know who God is. But if we're going to do that effectively, we have to be in relationship with one another in which we can actually work together efficiently and effectively, right? That way, the next time the church gets shut down across the country or the world, rather than scrambling and trying to figure out what we do, we'll know, right? Joe and John have a place. They'll open up their home. They have a place over here, and they're going to do this, and they're going to be a house of prayer, and they're going to open their home for food delivery, and... We've already talked about it. These are the gifts that they've got. Could you imagine working that well as a system and a function of the body of Christ? 
I would love to see that. And I know our neighborhoods and our neighbors would love to see that. And so that's what we're working towards. So next week, a lot more information about the details of what it means to be in covenant and the timeline we're looking at to uh, release the video series. And honestly, ask questions. Feel free to ask any questions leading up to it. I'd say watch the video series first before you ask questions because there'll probably be a lot of stuff answered in that. But um, we're looking for closer relationship and the ability to do church as God has asked us to. Make sense? Any questions now? I'm just kidding. We can't do that right now. It's late. But please pray, ask questions. We want to hear and we want to talk to you about it. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you so much and I'm so grateful, God, that you have not left us to our own devices. I ask for humility. I pray for humility, God, that you would lead, direct, and guide myself and the pastors and the elders of this church, that we would do nothing out of vain ambition or selfishness, but God, that you would continue to lead us in humility. Lord, we are grateful. I am grateful today that you woke me up. Lord, that you provided food, you provided transportation and clothes on my body, that my family is here. Let me not forget, Lord, what it is to be thankful and to have gratitude for the gifts you give us. May I continually be in awe of who you are and what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to partake of communion now. If you have a chance and grab the cup and the wafer, which is on the back table. When we partake of communion, we're saying that we agree and we stand with that we agree and we stand with Christ as he sat with his disciples and he held the bread and he told them this is my body this is my body which gives access to the Father breaks down the veil that was there between man and God and because of my body you'll have that access and so he gave it to his disciples and he said eat So let's taste and see that the Lord is good together. In a similar manner, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. This is the blood of a new covenant for all mankind. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, we thank you that you have not left us to our devices, that you have not turned your back on us, but that you have shown graciousness and kindness, as Joe said earlier, God, an unfailing love. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.